welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do another show that covers brand new movies out in the theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Search for it wherever you're listening to this and you'll find it. Today we're going to be capping off the trilogy of the Indiana Jones films. Yes, I do realize there is a fourth film. I will not be covering it here. However, if you want to know my thoughts on that film, you can get them at my website. I do have a written review up of that. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is what I'm talking about. However, today we're going to get into the third and the final film of the 1980s for Indiana Jones. It is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It came out at the very end of the decade in 1989. It is a PG-13 rated film. That's a notable thing for this series. Violence, sensuality, and some disturbing images are in the film. The runtime is two hours and seven minutes. Harrison Ford returns as Indiana Jones, of course, but new to the series is Sean Connery. Allison Duty is also in the film, but returning are Denholm Elliott, John Reese davies River Phoenix and Julian Glover are also in the film. Steven Spielberg is the director, the screenplay credited to Jeffrey Bohm. It's kind of an interesting film. I saw this film when I was 18 years old. And one notable thing about this, it's just a trivial thing. It means really nothing, but it's a movie that I saw with current uh, Fox News commentator. He was a friend of mine back then. He was... Before he was famous, Sean Hannity, uh, we ended up playing basketball and then deciding, hey, let's go see this movie. The watching of this film was not only notable for that, but it was the first time I realized that guys in their adulthood, when they go to the movies, oftentimes put a seat in between them, a buffer seat. You know, I had always seen movies with my family or close friends, so we always sat together. So when I sat with Sean Hannity and he moved one seat over, I didn't understand what that meant. And he explained to me. Now, guys, when they go to the movies, they have to have a buffer seat, which I always found amusing. So I always remember this film and Sean Hannity in that time in my life. Just a little amusing anecdote for you there. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is the third, and for many years, it would be considered the last installment of the action-adventure trilogy of Indiana Jones films. Very successful still. And while I don't think that it makes the kind of dynamic impact that Raiders of the Lost Ark did upon its debut, I don't think you could really ask for anything more crowd-pleasing as a potential final chapter than this one. Spielberg here was not only making this film to fulfill a three-picture deal that he had with George Lucas as well as Harrison Ford, but he also saw an opportunity here to try to earn back the respect for the character of Indiana Jones after the prior entry, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, had begun to evaporate, at least in his mind. And ironically, Temple of Doom was one of the films that had brought about the PG-13 ratings existence. And despite the fact that The Last Crusade is easily the mildest of the Indiana Jones movies in terms of its scares and its intensity overall, it would be the only one to that date to get the PG-13 rating. Now, The Last Crusade begins with River Phoenix playing a younger version of Indiana Jones, who, even at a young age, had a thirst for adventure. We learn to find his father, played by Sean Connery, who happens to also be a professor of medieval literature, is acutely obsessed with tracking down any information he can regarding the whereabouts of the legendary Holy Grail, the cup used by Jesus at the Last Supper. And as a result, he pays little attention to young Indiana. 
Now we flash forward to 1938, where Indiana Jones eventually finds that his father has been kidnapped by the Nazis, who are also looking for the Holy Grail for their own evil purposes, and the legendary powers of immortality that it may hold. Indy and his dad have never quite seen eye to eye, which makes Indiana's subsequent rescue attempts all the more interesting, because he tries to impress this man who only lives for the Grail. So much more to the story than that. It's a movie I kind of think you have to see to fully, fully appreciate. Now Spielberg here, who put aside the potential for directing two other 1980s classics in Big and Rain Man, he was actually attached to those films, but then ended up having to leave to take on Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Here he's correcting many of the missteps that he had made in Temple of Doom. He goes completely the opposite direction in many ways. He makes the adventure about the characters and not about the thrills and chills every few minutes, as he did in that film. For the most part, The Last Crusade is a much lighter, it's a much frothier affair, with even the most menacing parts marked with bits of genuine levity to undercut them. Jeffrey Bohm, who scripted other films, Inner Space for Spielberg, Funny Farm is another film he's known for. He provides the warmly funny screenplay, and even the cinematography, which ran very dark and mysterious in the previous adventures, appears here very vibrant and very colorful. It's a much kinder and gentler Indiana Jones than we've known before. Originally, Chris Columbus, a Spielberg favorite in the 1980s, had turned in an early script it was set in Scotland and Africa, reportedly to be called Indiana Jones and the Monkey King, which included Lucas's long-standing desire to make a haunted house part of the story in Scotland before ending up in this battle for the Fountain of Youth in Africa. George Lucas was not happy with it, though, in the end, primarily because it was too rooted in fantasy and because Steven Spielberg had qualms with the stereotypes of the Africans that were needed in that movie, he received a good share of blowback for the depictions of people of India and East Asia in the Temple of Doom. I don't think he wanted to go through that again. And despite it being based on his own ideas, Lucas decided to go in another direction, this time with the Grail legend. Spielberg was skeptical that the Holy Grail, which was just a cup with no attributed powers at the time, would make for an interesting adventure, but he saw the prize not as the cup itself, but of the restoration of the relationship with a mostly estranged father and son, which is kind of a trope for Steven Spielberg in his career. You have the introduction of Henry Jones Sr., something that Steven Spielberg thought could shake things up for the character of Indiana Jones in this very interesting and humorous and heartwarming way. Steven Spielberg brought aboard Menno Mages, who wrote a screenplay for him in the past with The Color Purple. He also helped pepper up The Empire of the Sun for him years before that. He wanted him to work with Lucas on the story. Mythical powers were added during the development phase to the Grail in order to put it on a powerful par with the other relics from the prior two films. Jeffrey Bohm, who worked with Spielberg on his production of Inner Space, came in to shape it into a final screenplay, while an uncredited Tom Stoppard would come in to rework all of the dialogue for the film to give the characters more levity as well as humanity. Sean Connery is a perfect addition to this series. He plays the part of an unimpressed father beautifully. Though in reality, Connery is only 12 years older than Ford. He had a little bit of a hard time sticking to that. Ford looks a little bit younger, Connery a little bit older, so it still kind of works out. Just when you think that you've seen all there is to see as far as the character of Indiana Jones, out comes another facet, and Harrison Ford does a very commendable job in balancing the indie that we all know from the previous films and the boyish vulnerability whenever he's around his father in this one. 
Two of the biggest legends in the world of action flicks together on one bill is worth the price of admission at really any price. Spielberg wanted Sean Connery from the get-go because he had always envisioned the Indiana Jones series as his own form of making the James Bond adventures. He tied in this younger series, his series, with the father series with the iconic actor who famously played 007 in the past. Most of the supporting roles also went to actors who had previously appeared in recent James Bond films, including Julian Glover and Alison Doody, who had roles in For Your Eyes Only and A View to a Kill, respectively. Even John Rhys-Davies returned here in a role in from Raiders as Salah. He had just appeared in 1987's The Living Daylight, so another tie-in there. River Phoenix is also an inspired choice to play the younger Indiana Jones. He was hand-selected by Harrison Ford himself, for the role after the two had appeared together in 1986's The Mosquito Coast. River Phoenix played his son in that film, and Ford liked the young actor and thought he was the one he could think of that could handle the part who most resembled what he actually looked like as a teenager. The young Indiana Jones prologue essentially acts as an origin story of sorts to Indiana Jones, introducing us to Henry Sr., as well as showing how Indiana would earn his trademark fedora hat and his whip, and his first use of it produced a scar on Harrison Ford's chin, which was a real scar that had been acquired in a car accident decades prior, as well as Indiana Jones' Fear of Snakes, all in one complete adventure. The story, when we get into the more modern day of 1938, moves briskly from one plot point to the next, and while some viewers may think this makes for a tighter affair than its predecessors, I do think that there's also an extraordinary amount of contrived elements that are brought in here for that plot to move as fleet as it does. For instance, Indiana Jones secures a nicely fitting staff uniform prior to going into this Nazi Zeppelin in a manner that's not really explained very well by something that we see within the story. The scene inside of a library in Venice where Indiana Jones makes connections on finding catacombs under the street by connecting things that are very easily connectable in hindsight. Elsa claims him to be a genius for being able to discover these things that he does and, and it ends up requiring him finding a symbol under their very feet that has been likely seen and probably commented upon by thousands of people who've ever looked at the floor from the vantage point that he ends up taking. There are many, many more examples I could go into, but suffice it to say that this movie really needs a lot of contrived elements in order to continue the story through all of the various plot points. The effects work in this film unfortunately, is a bit of a liability. They're remarkably shoddy for a movie with this budget and with this team of professionals. I think they look worse than a lot of what you saw in Raiders as well as in the Temple of Doom, even though some of those were obvious practical effects. The visual effects here by Industrial Light and Magic are not up to the standards that we're accustomed to. In particular, the blue screen effects are blatantly obvious sometimes when they occur. We have lighting and backdrops that don't really match with the established environments that we've already seen well. Creature effects such as a circus boa constrictor and this rhinoceros that somehow has the ability to gore through the top of a train are kind of cartoonish and not really convincing at all. The locale work does bolster these elements well, however, with the production granted access for half day to parts of Venice, Italy, as well as the exterior shots of the Grail's home that was actually filmed in Petra, Jordan, substituting here for Alexandretta. Interiors were a fictional set, as was the set for the interior of the library in Venice, but we go along with all of this for the narrative flow and the rewards of this entertaining ride along the way. The theme of the film is the search for the father is the real search instead of the search for the Holy Grail. That's the most poignant theme for 
Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. For Henry Sr., it's the search for illumination. It started off with this quote he makes at the beginning of the film, May he who illuminated this illuminate me, which is also what he claims to have discovered by the end of the film, illumination. In a way, the religious artifacts that form the basis of all three films are about the search for God in a couple of different forms, just as religion can also be seen as a search for the Father, the Father of all of us, as well as the search for oneself, the meaning of all of us. For Indiana Jones, he has always been on a search for what's factual as an archaeologist, whereas his father is in a search for truth, which he distinguishes from fact in his line, archaeology is the search for fact, not truth. In the end, Henry Jones Jr. finds that illumination is what he's seeking. He does not need the physical Holy Grail itself, because what he wants is really to know that it exists, and in its existence, that God exists. And there is a truth above all of these facts that actually govern them all. And that's another poignant thing to observe in a film full of actually very poignant philosophical and religious notions. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade would prove to be a box office smash. It finished second overall in the United States box office. It lost only to Batman, which really was a huge juggernaut. Even though it lost to Batman in the United States, it happened to be the top money earner internationally. It found huge success in Japan, most notably. In fact, at the time of its release, it was the second highest money earner for international dollars in all of box office history. At that time, it has subsequently been bested many, many times over, of course. Critically, it was also successful, many reviews noting that it bounced back in tone and in tempo from the Temple of Doom for becoming the funnest romp in the series. It would receive an Oscar for its sound effects editing and also nominations for John Williams' score and for its sound mixing. There is a sense of welcome immaturity to the entire production. It lets you know that it's all in the name of fun. Some Indiana Jones fans love the comedy. They love the repartee within The Last Crusade so much that there are actually people that consider it the best of the series. Even Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford have said that it is their favorite as well. And that's pretty notable considering how respected Raiders of the Lost Ark is. This is a loving send-off to one of the most beloved characters in movie history. And even if the humor sometimes gets into the realm of being a bit corny, we like these characters so much that even those moments end up making us smile. For every Indiana Jones fans, I think that this is must-see viewing. Literally watching Indiana Jones and his friends ride off into the sunset together. So I'm going to give Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade four stars out of four. I think this is a supremely entertaining movie. It has flaws, to be sure. I don't think it's as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark personally for a variety of reasons. But it is just so fun. It's a great film. It's a great 1980s film. And I really could not recommend it any higher. So why not give it four stars out of four? This was supposed to be the last we saw of Indiana Jones. You know, Spielberg and Lucas really actually came out after the release of The Last Crusade, saying that it would be the final cinematic adventure. However, that was true, at least for a time. It was his last cinematic adventure, but George Lucas liked the aspect of seeing the younger version of Indiana Jones in this film. He ended up producing a TV show called The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles for about three years, and then followed those up with a few made-for-TV movies. And as I mentioned, despite their early claims to the closure of the series, Indiana Jones would see the cinema screens again 19 years later, and it would prove Indiana Jones' immortality, I guess. 
with the release of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But that's a review for another time and another podcast, <laughs> because we're going to stick with the original trilogy here. And I'm kind of sad to see it go, because it's one of my favorite cinematic series of all time. But along those lines, the next movie, the next trilogy that I'm going to be talking about, will kick off with a movie that some claim to be just as good as the Indiana Jones Adventures, maybe even better than The Temple of Doom, which was released the same year, Robert Zemeckis's Romancing the Stone, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and all the rest. A very entertaining film I haven't seen for quite a while. We'll see if it holds up as well as the Indiana Jones Adventures today. Romancing the Stone from 1984 on our next episode of this podcast. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed these reviews. I definitely enjoyed looking back at the Indiana Jones series. If you want to write to me and let me know what you think about the Indiana Jones series or this podcast or whatever you want, you can find my contact information at my website. Quipster.net is where to go, where you can also find all of my written reviews. Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, thank you everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies.